Okay, now, of course, uh, given the time of year, uh, over the last number of weeks, there's been uh, sort of an infinite amount of chat out there about uh, New Year's uh, resolutions, hasn't there? I suppose we kind of have to expect that. And, and in some ways, I guess, I, I hope that as Christians that we've embraced that sort of idea that maybe we have given some serious thought to what needs to change in our lives, spiritually speaking, as we, as we enter a new year. <laughs> uh, but that said, I'm guessing, and I really hope I'm not doing any of you a disservice here at all, but I'm guessing if you're anything like me by this stage of the month, you know, by the fact you get a wee bit into January, all of our New Year's resolutions, and especially, I think, the spiritual New Year's resolutions, they have gone, haven't they? We have broken these. If you're anything like me, you know, that sort of, you know, that resolve, that newfound resolve that we've got to pray more in the New Year 2015, it's gone, eh? And uh, that resolve we've got to sort of really uh, set aside some proper devotional time. We're going to read the Bible like we've never read the Bible before this year. That goes, all of it, it seems to go. Here's the deal. This morning in a time together, what I want us to refocus on is that what matters to God in our salvation is not those things. It is not what we do for him. But what matters ultimately is what God has done for us in Christ. So, instead of at this time of the year, you know, the minister gets up the front and a sermon about New Year, New Year's resolutions, do this, do this, and do that. None of that. Shall we not this morning just look to the gospel of God? Shall we not as a congregation at this time of year just bask in the extent of what Christ has done for his people? Let's do that. And to do that, uh, what we're going to do, what we're going to have is, God willing, three points from the portion of Scripture that we read together. And so, I would ask you, if you don't have it in front of you, to please uh, pick up your Bibles and, and have it open. Turn uh, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and from verse 16. And if you're looking it up, I just, I'll, I'll throw out our first heading what we see here is that the gospel, it liberates us from the tyranny of evil. And what we see in this portion of scripture that we've read is that the gospel liberates us. The gospel frees us and it does so from the tyranny, from the clutches, the tyranny of evil. So that's the first thing I want us to think about here. Okay. I think it's very important that we keep in mind the setting of the verses that we've got in front of us. Okay? Now, all of what we read there, so, in fact, more than that, all of it, think about it, the previous salvation of Lydia that we looked at last week, then that situation that we read about with the slave girl there, then the future sort of salvation of the jailer. See, all of that, that huge big section, it all, 
It all happens in the same place. It all happens in that one Macedonian city of Philippi. And that just sounds like an incidental detail there. Hold on to it, because that is going to be very, very important later on. It all happens in Philippi. But what I want us to think about just now is actually just the situation of that young girl that is mentioned in verse 16. And straight off the bat, wait a minute, do you see what what a terrible predicament, what an awful situation that girl is in? Did you see it as I read through it? Did you see what we are told about her in verse 16? Look at it. This is a, this young girl is a, a slave girl. Now this girl is in some senses, if you like, she is owned by wicked men. And do you see what these men are trying to do? These men, they are trying to exploit this young girl for this sort of special, unusual gift, ability that she's got. And do you see what it is? What's special about this young girl? Suppose we might say that she's a clairvoyant or she's somebody who can predict the future, tell the future. Now, don't for a second, please, be sort of thinking about some scary old wifey in a sort of circus tent somewhere, you know, predicting the future. Or don't think about a sort of horoscope sort of idea at the back of some tacky tabloid newspaper. Because let me tell you this, it is not like that. The situation of that young girl, much, much darker. Because we are told that she is possessed by an evil spirit. That this is, there is a demon behind what is going on here. So you, first of all, do you not? She's in a terrible, terrible predicament, this young girl. Yes, okay, but more than that, also notice with me how this girl is set free. Do you see that? Now, I think what we're told is that she's prompted by this evil spirit to the extent that what what she starts to do is follow Paul and the rest of these guys, you know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. She's following them around. Uh, Philippi, like following them around like a bad smell, if you want. Like they can't shake her. And, and all the time, what she is doing is she is shouting out behind them, everyone here, these guys are servants of God and they know the way of salvation. Now, okay, what she is saying is true and it's fine. But I wonder, as you're sitting there just now, do you see why Paul is concerned about what's going on. Do you? Like, Paul's there in Philippi to preach the gospel. And so Paul's concerned that if the whole of the population of that city, if they see Paul working in close connection with this girl, that the population of Philippi might conclude that he too is under the influence of a Holy Spirit. And this is going to affect the, the gospel witness. So what does Paul do? Paul does what he has to do, and he commands that the, this evil spirit that it leaves this girl. Now, I, I, I hope you're with me so far. I hope you see she's in a terrible situation. And I hope you see, yes, that she's set free. But there's something, there's something I, I, I want you to think about. There's something proper here. But you'll have to follow me. Now, I'm guessing that quite a lot of you, uh, I know a few of you are film buffs, but I guess quite a few of you have seen the, 
2000-2001 Coen Brothers film, uh, Oh Brother, where art now? Uh, if you haven't, maybe should. Uh, it's, a, it's a good film. It's good music. Now, the film begins, if you've seen it, you'll know this. The film begins with the main characters. You've got George Clooney and some of the, some of the guys. And they're slaves. And they're prisoners. Okay, Now, they're out in the fields. They're, they're part of a chain gang. And they're trying to escape. But they can't. They can't function properly. They can't walk properly because, of course, they've got shackles around their legs. And they've got shackles around their wrists. Now, do you see that that there is actually the picture that we should have of this young girl in, in Philippi? Like, don't please, I'm asking you, just think that this young girl's got a bit of a problem. Please see that this young girl is so enslaved by this evil spirit that she is held captive that she is entirely in bondage, that she cannot function properly, that she is even being used as a vehicle for wickedness. And then I want you to think about this. Her situation, it mirrors the situation of all men outside of Christ, apart from Christ. Are you hearing me there? That because of sin, all men are held captive. Outside of Christ, held captive by evil. That all humanity is in chains. That as Paul's going to say later on in Acts, that all men outside of Christ... Now listen to this. He says all men are under the power of Satan. Just like this little girl here that we've got, this young girl, the outside of Christ, that all humanity is what? It is governed by and orchestrated by evil. Now is that, whoa, you know, is that not a, a, a devastating reality for us? But let me say this. What scripture tells us is that there is hope That yes, this sort of, in Acts 16, the enslavement of this young girl here, it does point to the enslavement of of mankind. But more than that, think about it. That this girl's liberty that she enjoys in the name of Jesus Christ, it points to the, it points to the freedom that we can have in Him. Now hear this. That what Christ has done on the cross at Calvary, is that he has destroyed the governance of evil in his people's lives. Isn't that beautiful? That what Christ has done on the cross has taken that mastery that Satan has over our souls and he has absolutely obliterated it. And more than that, what he has done is not only take that former wicked governance and destroy it, But he has replaced it with a new spirit. His very, very own Holy Spirit. Maybe you're sort of thinking, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe you're thinking, Andy, you're stretching this, man. You're kind of, (laughs) you're taking the text and you're sort of over-spiritualizing things because we are not even told here that this young girl becomes a Christian. Oh, but I think we are. In the way that this is constructed, 
See, think about this. The author, in placing this story in between what? In between the salvation of Lydia and her coming into the Philippian church and the salvation of the jailer coming into the Philippian church, Luke expects you, he expects me to deduce that this girl's not just exercised, that this girl here, she comes to faith in Christ she enters that church too. And I'm not just standing up here and saying to people who are not Christians, look what Christ offers you. Do you see the freedom that Christ offers you? I'm saying to Christians, friends and brothers and sisters, do you see what, what, what the cross means? Do you see what the gospel means to us? Do you see what God has done for us? He has liberated us that though it may seem absolutely terribly hard sometimes we are free as Christians and we have a new divine and holy governance of our souls as Paul's going to say in Romans we truly are in Christ set free so we see that the gospel liberates us from the tyranny of evil. Okay, let's move on. Secondly, let's see that the gospel also leads us, it liberates us, you've got that, but the gospel leads us from despair and it leads us to joy. So the gospel liberates us, but it also leads us from despair to joy. What do I mean? Well, we've seen the slave girl. She's been freed from the evil spirit. But if you're, if you were following me when I was reading through the text, you'll see that what happens next is that her owners, if you like, they're, they're not happy about this at all. And so what they do is they appeal to the sort of the Philippian magistrate, the authorities. Very clever about it as well, do you not think? They don't mention anything about the fact that really it's about their loss of income. Instead, they go to the magistrates and they sort of appeal to the magistrate's sense of identity. Say, these Jews, Paul and Silas, they don't share our Roman values. That's the thrust of it. And what happens is that through this, Paul stripped, beaten severely, and he is imprisoned. But really, if I'm honest with you, what happens next uh, that I want you to focus in on just now. You see what happens next. I want you, I want to stop and, and I want to ask you to do something with me. Like if, if you follow me up, up to this point, you've seen that we're looking at this young girl. I want you to, to shift your attention and to focus just now on the jailer. And I would ask you to consider that man's uh, his despair in the portion of Scripture. Because I think we could pass over it uh, very easily indeed. Please consider that man's despair. Uh, because what, what happens after Paul and Silas, have, you know, they're in the dungeon, if you like, and they are praying and singing hymns. But after that, what God does is send an earthquake. 
But do you see uh, the misery and the despair of the jailer at that point? Do you see his misery? See what happens? He wakes up in in, in this um, earthquake and he sees that the doors, all the doors have flung open, all the chains have fallen off. And he assumes, and I think he can understand why, that all of the prisoners have left. And he realizes at that point, that man realizes that he, if this is true, he is going to be tortured. And this man is going to be killed for allowing these prisoners to escape. And do you see how distraught he is? Do you see what he does? He takes out his sword. Such is the darkness, such is the despair. He places it to his flesh. And this man here is about to end his own life. And I want to ask if what you are reading there seems all too familiar eh, to you this morning. It may well be that... that, uh, You've come to church this morning and, and you're sitting there and like this jailer, you are entirely despairing of life and, and the future and everything. That Like this jailer here, you can see nothing uh, but the despair and the gloom and the darkness of your situation. And if that is familiar... I would ask you to to see what happens to this man. You see what happens? Because right at that point, you know, with his blade at his chest, let's say, he, he hears a voice. He hears Paul's voice. And Paul shouts, telling him that the, the prisoners have not escaped. And, you know, there and then, and I, I don't know why. Maybe because of the earthquake, you know. Maybe because hearing from Paul and Silas, you know. Maybe even because of the, the message this young slave girl has been shouting out through Philippi. I don't know why. But there and then, that man sees true. And he sees that it's God that people are speaking about. That he is a God of salvation. And that he needs to be saved. And what he does is he runs through, he falls, he pleads. And right there, and then on that prison floor with tears no doubt falling, this man receives the salvation of Jesus Christ. And I asked you a second ago to consider that man's despair. I would ask you now to consider that man's newfound joy. Do you see the change in this guy? I mean, he's now up. And he's full of energy. And he's tending Paul's wounds. And then he's bringing them out. And he's bringing them to his family. And he's telling his family all about the good news of salvation. The despair that clutched this man it has absolutely gone. And this man is rejoicing. And I want, I want you to see, friends... That that sort of transition from despair to immeasurable joy, it only, only comes in Jesus Christ. That that is why scripture so often talks about salvation in contrasts. Because only, 
Only in Jesus Christ can we go from darkness to light. Only in Christ can we go from a situation of condemnation to a situation where we are adopted by God. Only in Christ can we go, think about the contrast, from death to life. So I want to lay this out as clear as I possibly can. If it is you this morning who, like the jailer, is in utter despair, please see that if you come just now in repentance before the throne of the King and Kings, then that can change. That despair can change. And joy can come. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe we need to say something to Christians who have lost the joy of redemption. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Does it? The idea that, yeah, okay, you know, I've, I've been where the jailer has been and I have accepted Christ, but... I've lost that, that, that wonderment, the joy of my salvation in Christ. Does that sound familiar? Is there a word here in these verses for us? I think there is. Let me ask you this. See, when I read through, did you notice what it was that the jailer does after he's saved? He's saved, baptized, very important. What did he do next? You see it? What we see is that the jailer and his family, they prepare a meal. It seems like an odd detail until until we realize that, wait a minute, it was kind of the same with Lydia. Remember what happened with Lydia last week? Lydia was saved. She was transformed. What did she do? Threw herself into hospitality. Got people, got the men round to her house. And then what is clear in the language of this passage with the jailer is that this meal, now follow me here if you're a Christian, this meal that they prepare, it was fundamentally an expression of gratitude and joy. Now I think when we consider Christian fellowship, we miss that, don't we? Like, we're sort of big on fellowship and hospitality in the congregation, as you see, men's nights and that sort of thing. But maybe we're thinking about fellowship in different terms. We're thinking about it as like building relationships and getting to know other people. But a sense of gratitude? A sense of joy? Does that permeate everything to do with our fellowship? Maybe not. And so I say to you, if you are a Christian who is struggling for joy, maybe a first thing to do today is to reassess your view of fellowship. And what is it that we have? (laughs) Good timing, eh? What is it we have immediately after the service? We've got a fellowship meal. Are you struggling for joy? Then use that opportunity to ponder, but also to give thanks with your brothers and sisters For the miracle of, yes, what what God has done in the slave girl's life and what God has done in the jailer's life, but use that opportunity, use fellowship 
to give thanks with others for what God has done in Christ for us. So so the gospel liberates us from the tyranny of evil and the gospel leads us. But thirdly, fourthly, no, thirdly, rather, eh, and lastly, the gospel alters all kinds of people. We see here that the gospel alters all kinds of people. Okay, so we've seen um, that the jailer uh, is saved by grace. I'm sure you probably agree with me that the passage of Scripture ends in what seems like quite a strange way, isn't it? Um, You've got Paul claiming his rights. And what we know is that it was illegal for a, a Roman citizen to be treated in the way that Paul and Silas had been treated and beaten like this without a proper trial. So when Paul sort of unveils the fact that he is a Roman citizen, you can see the fear and the trembling of the authorities and the magistrates. And that's how the portion of Scripture ends. Okay? But really what I want us to do as we close is to take a step back and just to consider Acts 16 as a whole and to think about what it is that we've seen in the city of Philippi. And remember I said at the start of the sermon, all of this takes place in the one city. Well, what have we seen in that one city in Philippi? What have we seen? We've seen three conversions, haven't we? We've seen the conversion of Lydia. We've seen a conversion of a slave girl. We've seen a conversion of this jailer. And do you know what? See, when we stand back and consider the chapter like that, what I think we see is one of Luke's main points in Acts chapter 16. Because wait a minute, we see how radically different those three people were. That's the point he's making. Do you see it? Like, think about it. Who have you got? You've got Lydia. Now, what do we know about her? We know that she was, ah, you know what? She was an independent woman. You know, a homeowner. And then what comes after her? A young girl who could not be any less independent. A girl who is enslaved. And then you've got Lydia. And we're given details that she's a Gentile woman from the city of Thyatira. And then you brought to this, this Roman soldier, aren't you? And then we've got the fact that, you know, you've got the poorest of the poor slave girls. And you've got Lydia, who's obviously got a little bit of money. And you've got a bright, intelligent businesswoman. And you've got what I'm guessing was just a big, burly prison guard. Do you see it? I mean, here there is contrast after contrast, after contrast. And when we read the chapter like that, what becomes clear to us, I want you to hear this, is that the message of salvation in Jesus Christ is not just for one type of person. And sometimes we think it is, do we not? You know, sometimes we we think Christianity is just for people whose parents are Christians. Not for us. Or we think Christianity and the message of the gospel 
There is. It's for people who have a sort of oddly high sort of moral code. Not for us. Or we think that the message of the gospel is for people who are, you know, a wee bit more accepting, much less cynical than we are. And what we are seeing here is that that is absolutely false. What we are seeing here is that this message that salvation is available in Jesus Christ, that that is for, for a message for all people here, from all walks of life, from all countries, with all intellectual abilities. And I wonder, as you sit there in, the, in your seat this morning, do you see how it is that Christ has done this? Do you see how it is that Christ can change all manner of people? He can do it. Because he has lived a perfect life that we could not live because we have been governed by sin. He's done this because then he has died with our sin, your sin, upon his shoulder. And he has done this because he's been risen from the dead. That is how Christ can change all manner of people. So I guess, I hope this morning, that you are perhaps seeing, and maybe clearer than you've ever seen before, just how amazing this gospel is. And I guess, I hope, that you're perhaps asking the same question that that jailer was asking, that your heart just now is maybe singing, I want that. I want that. What must I do to be saved? And let me say that the answer to that question is the same right now as it was back then. What must I do to be saved? You must believe in Jesus. You must trust in him as Lord. Lord, sovereign over your sin. Sovereign over Satan. Sovereign over salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. So you know what happens next. Let's go to the fellowship lunch. But let's go go there with joy. Let's go there praising God for this gospel. Praising him for what he has done for us in Christ. Let's pray.